0: so thanks for joining after two weeks uh, break. Uh, So today we'll continue where we stopped, uh, which was at the end of chapter two. So today we'll start with chapter three. And God willing, we'll take a look at the first uh, 12 verses, where uh, we are told about two messengers. And we're also given the answer uh, to the two questions that we saw at the end of chapter two, verse 17. And we see a beautiful verse in chapter six, which reminds us of God's A wonderful attribute that he's an unchanging God uh, when it comes to the covenant or the promises uh, that he makes with us. And then there's a call uh, to return to God uh, in the context uh, of tithing, which is used as an illustration of returning to God. And we'll close with some uh, reflection in terms of how it applies to our own lives. So we'll start with uh, Malachi chapter two, uh, verse 17, uh, where we ended last week, or two weeks back. Uh, it says, uh, ye have wearied the Lord with your words, uh, yet ye say, wherein have ye wearied him, when he say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? So here we see that the, uh, the Israelites, they're complaining and asking questions. And these are questions that people often ask uh, even today, Uh, like everyone who's doing evil is good in the sight of the Lord, uh, in the sense that those who are doing evil are still prospering uh, in the world. Whereas those who are believers or those who are following the Lord, uh, they seem to be going through sufferings or they seem to be facing uh, many challenges. So we often ask the question when, uh, where is the God of judgment, or where is the justice uh, that we expect uh, from God, and why is the justice uh, being delayed? So in chapter three, we see the response of God uh, to these uh, questions, and the response comes uh, in the form of two messengers uh, who are sent uh, to save uh, and to judge. So that is the focus in chapter three. So we'll start by reading uh, verses 2 to 5, uh, which uh, introduces the two messengers, and we can see uh, what is their role. Yeah, maybe someone can read. Uh, verse. We'll start with verse 1, sorry. <clears throat> okay, so in verse 1, uh, we're reminded of the two messengers. Uh, yeah, okay, so in the very first verse, uh, we are introduced to two messengers, and the first one, uh, he shall prepare the way before me. So we know that uh, it is referring to John the Baptist and it was fulfilled uh, after 400 years because after Malachi, there was 400 years of silence and it is John the Baptist uh, who prepares the way. And even as we read in Mark chapter one, uh, verses two and three, it says, uh, as it is written in the prophets, uh, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness uh, prepare either way of the Lord and make his path straight and we also see that reference in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. So we read about the ministry of John the Baptist uh, when we read through the book of John or book of Matthew. Uh, his main ministry was to introduce uh, Lord Jesus Christ and we also see that uh, in his messages uh, there is a call to confession uh, there is a call to repentance and there is a call to baptism but in the essence is uh, he is paving the way or he is preparing the way for lord jesus christ to come and we read that also in john 129 where it says behold uh, the lamb of god uh, which taketh away the sin of the world and in john chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 uh, again it reminds us of his ministry it says There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, uh, to bear witness of the light that all men through him, which is Lord Jesus Christ, uh, might believe. So John was not preaching about himself, but he was simply preparing the way for Lord Jesus Christ, and he was uh, pointing uh, people to the Lamb of God, uh, which is Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is able to take away uh, the sins of the world. And even in his preaching, we see that the focus uh, is on repentance uh, and baptism, as we read in Matthew 3, 2, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, uh, confessing their sins. So we see that uh, John the Baptist played an important role because he was uh, making the way for Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he was making the way for the message of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the second uh, messenger, which we are also introduced uh, in chapter verse 1, uh, speaks about Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus Christ had a different role. Uh, the first time he came as a savior, and the second time he would come as a judge, And Malachi uses that uh, to answer the two questions, and we'll get to that. So we'll read in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save uh, that which was lost. So we know that when Lord Jesus Christ came, the first time uh, he came uh, to save sinners, Uh, he came uh, as a Savior. And here it goes on to say in the same verse, Uh, that he shall come suddenly to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom he delight in, behold, he shall come, uh, saith the Lord of hosts. So Jesus uh, comes to the temple and he replaces uh, the temple sacrifices. And we also know that through Lord Jesus Christ uh, came the new covenant. And after his uh, coming, uh, he became the mediator between God and man so that uh, there is no need for sacrifices uh, like we see in the Old Testament. So we read in Hebrews uh, 12, 24, and to Jesus, uh, the mediator of the new covenant. And because uh, he is the mediator, uh, we are often reminded that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace, uh, as we read in Hebrews 4, 16. And in verses uh, 2 to 5, uh, we are again pointed to Lord Jesus Christ. And here uh, he's not coming as a savior, but he's coming as a judge. And he's coming as someone who is going to refine and purify uh, not only uh, the priests, but also the people so that they can offer uh, a sacrifice uh, that is acceptable uh, to God. So here we see uh, two groups of people. And earlier in Malachi, we see that we see that one of the complaints of God was that they were offering uh, sacrifices that were not uh, acceptable. But here, when the Lord is coming back uh, the second time, uh, he is purifying a group of people. Uh, but at the same time, he is also judging a second group of people who don't uh, turn to him. So we'll see that. So the second coming of Christ uh, is seen as his coming as a judge. And also, uh, he is coming, uh, it is seen as a dreadful day, uh, which would be a fire and fury uh, to purify. And here we have seen verse two, but who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's uh, soap. So here we see that Christ is going to oversee the refining of the sons of Levi and by by taking the dross uh, from the silver and purging them as gold and silver or precious metals and washing the stain uh, with fuller soap, uh, which could be like a cleansing. So we see that a second chance uh, is given to them to offer uh, acceptable offerings. But in order to reach that point where they can offer acceptable offerings, they need to go through a process of intense uh, refining, which is seen as taking through fire and also through washing. So, Because of that, uh, it leads to verses uh, three and four, where they're able to offer a righteous offering, uh, which is pleasant uh, unto the Lord. So the same thing applies to us uh, when we are living a life of sin. uh, When we offer our worship, uh, it is a worship that is not Uh, acceptable unto the Lord. And if you want to truly offer an offering that is acceptable unto the Lord, the Lord may take us uh, through a tough uh, process of purifying us, of cleansing us, so that we also can bring an offering uh, that is pleasant uh, unto the Lord. So anytime we fall into sin, our offering is not acceptable. Uh, It is not pleasing to the Lord, even though we may uh, say Uh, Great words uh, with our lips, but if our heart is far from the Lord, then obviously that worship and that sacrifice and offering uh, is not acceptable. So we need to go back to the Lord. Uh, We need to go back uh, and get the cleansing that we need so that we can be purified. And it also brings us uh, to the question that we had from uh, chapter 2 and verse 17 which is uh, why do the wicked uh, prosper and why do the wicked uh, go unpunished or where is uh, the God of justice? So so this question is answered when we take a long-term perspective or when we take an eternal perspective. So when the book of Malachi is written, uh, obviously that question uh, is not fully answered, uh, but when we read through it and when we look at Uh, God from an eternal standpoint, uh, we see that uh, the wicked will not prosper forever, and God is going to judge uh, all the evil uh, in his perfect time. And in verse 5, it says he will come near uh, to you, uh, to judgment, which means uh, at some point uh, the justice will come, and we will be able to see it, uh, we will be able to experience it, and we will be able to understand it. So we need to trust uh, God's timing uh, for justice. So we often say that God is just, but in life uh, we may go through a lot of injustice. But if we truly believe uh, that our God is just, then we simply have to trust uh, in God's timing because in his time uh, he will bring justice. So that is a question that was there in chapter two. And that is the question that we see even in other parts of the scriptures. Uh, where even in the Psalms, we often see when psalmist would cry out uh, for justice, he would cry out for God's answer. But we know that God will always answer uh, in his time, according to his calendar and not according to our uh, desires. And the same thing is also addressed in Psalm uh, 73. So we see that when we go back to the scriptures or when we look at the questions From an eternal standpoint, uh, the Bible is able to give us answers to those uh, tough questions uh, why God is not judging sinners or why are the sinners going unpunished? (laughs) So in Psalm 73, verse 17, it says, uh, Until I went uh, into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So the wicked might be prospering uh, in this lifetime. Or they may be prospering and having a good time in the short term but when we go uh, to the scriptures uh, we understand what would be their end and their end uh, would be destruction so in psalm 37 uh, 37 and 38 it says uh, mark uh, the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace so we know that uh, even though we may go through many trials uh, we may go through many challenges uh, at the end, uh, there would be peace, uh, even if it is not in this lifetime. Uh, when we die, we know that our end, ending would be peaceful. Uh, we would be in the presence of the Lord. But those who are evil, uh, they will be destroyed uh, altogether. Uh, they would lose in this lifetime. But we know for sure that at the end, uh, they would face uh, eternal uh, condemnation. So we can say that the sufferings uh, of the righteous uh, are temporal, and that is what we see in the life of Job. Uh, He went through a lot of sufferings, but all of that was temporary. But for sinners, uh, the sufferings will be everlasting. Uh, Once they die, uh, their sufferings will continue for all of eternity. And the same way, when we look at the blessings, uh, the material blessings of the sinners uh, are temporal. So no matter how rich uh, we might be, uh, that's not going to last uh, forever. Uh, It's going to last for maybe 90, 100 years at the most. So we should not be jealous. Uh, We should not be envious of the wicked people when they are prospering. And we should not covet uh, what they have because in the end, our ending would be in peace and the ending of the sinners uh, would be in destruction. So the choices before us, uh, whether we simply want to enjoy uh, temporary blessings or do we want to live a life uh, that would lead to uh, everlasting peace. And we, uh, there are many references, but we can just read a few of them. Uh, it, we know that the final judgment, uh, there would be no uh, entry for sinners uh, at the very end. And that is what is also reminded to us in verse 5. Uh, where it speaks about uh, certain people on whom uh, the judgment uh, will come. So Paul, when he's writing in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, he is pointing out uh, certain sins. And people of the world, they might be engaged in all of these. And we may think that they're having a good time. They are simply partying and having a good time. But the Bible says that they will not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. In the same way in Galatians uh, chapter 5 and verse 19, uh, it again uh, gives us a list of things that we see uh, often in this world. And we see that unbelievers, they may take pride that they're able to enjoy all these things. But at the end, it says, they shall not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. And the same way in Ephesians chapter 5 and 5 through 7. And when we come to Revelation uh, 21, 7, Uh, we see a similar list. It says, uh, he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. So that should be our goal. Uh, That should be our destination that we are able to overcome all the temptations. We are able to stay away from all the sins and the filth of this world so that at the end, uh, God can receive us and he can call us uh, his children. But it goes on to say that the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and war and sorcerers, idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So again, the book of Malachi, it is reminding us that when we uh, take a look at life uh, from an eternal perspective, We understand that God is just and that the sinners will be punished. So we don't have to be worried about why the sinners are having a good time. And we also often ask the question, why doesn't God judge uh, immediately? Uh, And we can simply say that God is waiting or he's gracious uh, as both the sinners and believers uh, need time. So even as believers, uh, we may fall into sin or we have failures uh, in our life, but we see that God doesn't uh, judge us uh, immediately. Uh, He gives us time. Uh, He gives us a second chance. He gives us a third chance so that we can keep uh, coming back to him uh, because God is gracious and God is merciful. So just like God is uh, giving us time uh, to set things right, uh, in the same way, he is also being merciful to sinners so that uh, they would also take take time Uh, to repent. So that is what we read in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack uh, concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So oftentimes we just look at issues from others' point of view. We want others to be judged, uh, others to be dealt with uh, immediately by God, but at the same time, when we look at our own life, uh, we want God to be compassionate. We want God to be merciful. We want God to give us uh, many chances. Uh, so we need to have the same position for sinners. Uh, we should be looking at sinners and pray to God that God they will come to uh, repentance uh, during the time of grace that they have. And verse six uh, brings us to a beautiful verse in uh, which is central to the theme of the Old Testament and also the New Testament. Yeah, someone can read. I, the Lord, do not change so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Yeah, so it gives us a statement and it also tells us uh, what is the outcome of that. So it tells us that God doesn't change and because of that, uh, the sons of Jacob or the sons of Israel, or the nation of Israel, uh, is not consumed. But we need to keep in mind, when it says uh, unchanging God, uh, it is in the context of the covenant that God has made uh, with the people of Israel. It doesn't mean that God doesn't change uh, in the way uh, he operates. So we know that God uh, met Moses uh, in the burning bush, but when God wanted to meet Saul, he met him on the road to Damascus. So we know that all of us have unique uh, experiences with God. So God does change uh, in terms of how he interacts with us and how he reveals himself to us. So here, when it says God is unchanging, uh, it means that uh, God is unchanging uh, in terms of the promise that he makes or the covenant uh, that he has made with us. For I am the Lord, I change not. So even though the Israelites were unfaithful, uh, even as we saw in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We see that God remains uh, faithful uh, to the covenant uh, that he has made uh, with the people of Israel. And even today, we know that uh, people of Israel are existing and living, and they have not been consumed by the wrath of God or by the judgment of God. And in Deuteronomy 4.30, it says, When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. So we see that God is uh, always being merciful, God is always uh, giving a second chance, and God is always uh, faithful uh, to the covenant that he made with the people of Israel, and the same thing is true with us. And Psalm 89.34 says, "'My covenant uh, will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips.'" Which reminds us that if God tells us something, uh, if he gives us a promise, uh, he will fulfill that promise, uh, we know that some promises are conditional. Uh, even the mosaic laws, they are conditional. That's why we have a list of blessings and curses. But we know that if God makes a covenant, then it's a unilateral covenant that no matter what we do, uh, that covenant will stay true and it would be uh, fulfilled. And Leviticus 26:44 uh, it says, and yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them uh, to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them, for I am the God, Lord their God. So it reminds us of the relationship that we have with our own children, uh, even if they go against us or even if they don't do things that we don't like, uh, we would still remain uh, faithful to them. Uh, we would still uh, take care of them because that is the relationship uh, that we enjoy. And that is the covenant God had with the people of Israel. And here we see that the Israelites, they are addressed uh, as sons of Jacob. So one reason could be God was simply reminding them of the character of Jacob, or he was reminding them of the time when they were not uh, Israel. And it also reminds us that it is possible to have a name change Uh, it is possible to restore the blessings uh, that we have lost when we repent and turn to God. So Jacob, we know, became Israel, and Saul, who was a sinner, uh, he became Paul when he turned to God. In the same way, whatever blessings uh, we have lost, uh, we also can uh, be restored when we turn back uh, to God. And when we look in the scriptures, we see some covenants. Uh, that were made to entire humanity. And there are some covenants that were made to Israel, uh, which is the context uh, of chapter six, sorry, verse six, uh, which is a covenant uh, that was made with uh, Abraham. But for us, the most important covenant uh, is the covenant uh, that was made with believers, which is what we call is the new covenant. And of course, the covenant with Noah, we know uh, that is true. The world has not been destroyed by flood because God made a covenant uh, at that time. Of course, uh, we've had many floods, uh, but nothing like the flood that we see in the book of Genesis that wiped out the entire uh, things. And in verses uh, 7 to 12, uh, the focus is on returning to God, uh, even though it speaks about tithing. And oftentimes we use this uh, passage to talk about tithing. But when we read the entirety of chapter three, we see that the focus is more on how we can return to God. And God is simply, uh, or the book of Malachi is simply giving us an example of how we can return to God, what is the path to go back, and what is the blessings uh, when we return to God. Okay, so oftentimes we tend to focus on verses uh, 8 through 10, but the more important verse uh, is verse 7, where God is giving us a beautiful promise, uh, return unto me and I will return unto you. So just by that statement, uh, it implies that we have gone away from God, but God is saying, if you come back to me, then I will return unto you. But the people of Israel, as we have seen in the first two chapters, Uh, When God makes a statement, they give a counter statement and seem to suggest that they haven't really gone away from God, or they seem to act uh, innocent or ignorant, whatever way we may call it. And God goes on to explain uh, that uh, in the context of tithing. So we'll take a look at that. So God is saying, uh, return to me, and people are saying how, and and consistent with previous chapters, uh, that was the trend where they would often ask uh, or challenge what God is telling them. So here, uh, God is using the tithing to explain and the return is connected to faithfulness uh, in tithing. And tithing is really used uh, to show the condition of our hearts and the need uh, to return. So, <clears throat> so if you're not obedient uh, in tithing, uh, God is saying is that you have gone away from me, and the time has come for you uh, to return to me, uh, even in that simple act of obedience, uh, which is uh, tithing. So so here the challenge is that our attitude uh, towards money uh, reveals the condition of our heart, and it also reveals uh, how we are being stewards of what God has uh, given us. Uh, we need to recognize that God is the source of all the gifts uh, in our life. All the material blessings uh, are coming from him, and we are simply uh, called to be stewards or to take uh, good care of what God has given us and also to be responsible and uh, obedient to what the scripture reminds us. So the condition of our heart reveals our attitude to money. So we can make uh, distinctions between uh, our We can ask ourselves uh, whether we are generous with money or whether we are misers, whether we are spenders or we are simply hoarding money uh, where it's rotting and not being used, whether we are content uh, with the money that we have or we uh, keep on coveting more and more. Are we honest uh, in our dealings with money or are we crooked uh, in trying to acquire more and more wealth? Are we lenders, or are we borrowers? Are we building wealth over time, or are we destroying wealth by wasting or making poor judgments? Are we uh, trusting in the Lord uh, for providing for our wealth, or do we keep on worrying that we don't have uh, enough? So the Lord is using the example of tithing to point uh, to the condition of our heart. So it's a challenge for all of us uh, in that context. So here it says uh, in verse nine, for you have robbed me, uh, even this whole nation. So we know that uh, it is not being addressed uh, to just the priests or the leadership. Uh, It is saying that the whole nation uh, has robbed God of tithe. And robbing, obviously you're taking something uh, that doesn't belong to you. So when we do that, uh, we are also thieves and we are robbers uh, in that context. When we uh, think about tithing, uh, we know that there was tithing uh, even before the laws were given. So in Genesis uh, 14, 18, uh, we read that uh, Abraham gave tithe of all uh, to Melchizedek. And of course, uh, Abraham uh, did not know about the Mosaic laws. So we can say that tithing uh, existed uh, even before that uh, as a gratitude to God or to recognize uh, the blessings from God. And of course, when we come to the laws that were given, uh, we read in several places uh, about tithing. So in Leviticus uh, 27.30, it says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. So it belongs to the Lord, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem out of his tithe, he shall add there to the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd, again, it goes on to say that the 10th shall be holy unto the Lord. So the common understanding in the Mosaic laws that the 10%, uh, at least a minimum of 10% uh, belongs to God and it is holy unto the Lord and it should come back uh, to God. So here when it says uh, people are robbing of tithe, That means they're not giving back uh, the 10% that they were supposed to give back. And when we come to uh, New Testament, there is no number that is given. Uh, In Luke 20, 25, uh, it reminds us that we need to give to Caesar the things which be Caesar's and unto God the things which be God's. So Caesar is simply uh, a picture of the government, which means uh, we need to pay our taxes uh, truthfully, So that is our responsibility. But at the same time, we also need to give to God uh, what belongs to him. And of course, we know the tax rate uh, that we need to give. But in terms of tithing, uh, it is not told uh, how much we need to give to God. So whether it's 10 or more or less, that is a decision. But it does tell us in New Testament that we need to give uh, generously uh, in Luke 12, 48. It tells us uh, we need to give uh, cheerfully, whether we are giving it to the Lord or we are giving it to uh, other believers or we are giving it to support something else. It should be done cheerfully. And in the same way, if we are giving, it should be given uh, secretly, uh, as we read in Matthew 6, uh, 3 and 4. And we have seen this before. Uh, tithing uh, is an important principle uh, that is carried forward uh, from the Old Testament. And when we read the scriptures, uh, especially in the Old Testament, uh, we see that tithing uh, was part of God's plan uh, to provide uh, for the ministries, but also to provide for the ministers or the priests who were serving in the temple and to maintain the ministries or to maintain the temple or the physical facilities and and also to meet the needs of members uh, in the community. Uh, that may be going through uh, some kind of crisis or some kind of challenges. So, the church or the temple uh, should take care of the members who are part of that temple or community. And if tithe is not given, then obviously all of the above would also be compromised. In Proverbs uh, 3 9, it reminds us again honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So everything that we have belongs to the Lord, and the first fruits uh, should go back uh, to the Lord. So in verses ten through twelve, we see uh, the challenge uh, that is given, and obviously in this case, the people of Israel, uh, they have been compromising uh, in the area of tithing. So maybe they did not have enough, and they thought they need to hold on to whatever they have, and oftentimes uh, we also do that. Uh, If we are in a financial crisis, uh, we tend to hold on to our money. We don't want to give it back, uh, or we don't want to help others, or we don't want to tithe because we feel we are already in a crunch, and we are not willing to trust that God will take care of us. But here, it is the challenge is given. Uh, God is telling them that if you return, or if you come back and be obedient uh, in the area of tithing, then he would uh, bless them beyond their imagination so here it says uh, the heavens will be opened uh, to pour out abundance of blessing their harvest uh, will be protected and not only that they would have a good testimony among other nations and they will be able to see that uh, truly a nation that tithes uh, is honored and blessed by God. And it would be a land of delight, as it says in verse 12. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. But in order to achieve that, obviously they need to return to God. And they need to take the step of faith and offer their tithe to God. And when they do that, God is saying, I would do all of these uh, in exchange. And oftentimes, God expects us to take the step of faith uh, before we can see blessings uh, in our life. But oftentimes, we are also afraid. uh, We don't have faith uh, to take those steps. And we also see the blessings uh, in in the New Testament that uh, when we take steps of faith, uh, we will obviously grow in our faith. So if you are willing to trust God by giving back 10%, then obviously we are trusting that the Lord will help us to live uh, in the 90% that we have. Or if you are tithing 20%, uh, we are trusting that God will help us to survive and prosper in the 80% that we have. And we will also be blessed by God when we bless others. And Luke 6.38 says, give and it shall be given unto you. And 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, if you sow bountifully, you will also reap uh, bountifully, or whatever we sow, uh, that is how we are going to be compensated, or that is how we are going to be blessed. And we also know that the blessings are different in the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, even as we read in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the blessings are focusing on the material things like the land and the and the animals and so on but in the new testament the focus uh, is on spiritual blessings but we see that uh, abraham was a little bit different he was not really looking for material blessings so abraham is also seen as the father of faith uh, in hebrews chapter 11 uh, he looked uh, for a city which has foundation whose builder and maker is God. And of course, it is with Abraham that God made the promise that he will bless him with the land and make him the father of many nations. But Abraham, with his eyes of faith, uh, he was able to look much beyond. Uh, He was able to look at a city uh, which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham is a great example for us where uh, even when we are enjoying material things uh, in this world, uh, we should still be focused on spiritual things. Uh, we should still be focused on the eternity that is before us in the presence of God. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians one three that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings uh, in heavenly places in Christ. And in verse 10, uh, we see that uh, when we don't type, Uh, the curse of God will be upon us. And Deuteronomy 28, the second part, uh, talks about all the curses that come when we disobey God. And tithing uh, is also one way in which we show our obedience to God. And in the New Testament, uh, it reminds us that uh, when we are not faithful in small things, uh, especially when it comes to money, uh, God is not going to give us uh, greater riches Uh, As we read in Luke 16.11, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon mammon or money, uh, who will commit to you your trust, uh, the true riches? So essentially it says, uh, if you are not faithful uh, in giving money, then God is not going to commit to you uh, spiritual blessings, uh, which are of much more greater value. So that brings us to the end. Uh, So we also might have the same question about questioning God's ways and God's timing on judgment, uh, just like the people of Israel. And just like the people of Israel, we also might have robbed God. We might have uh, gone away from God. And God is uh, reminding us and challenging us uh, that if we return to God, uh, he will return to us. So it need not be in the area of tithing. Uh, It could be in any other area. Uh, Each one might have a different area where we have fallen short of God's uh, expectation. And God is saying, if you return to me, I will return to you.